0: This is from the Loku, case 99. The Pointer. <clears throat> when a dragon howls, mist arises. When a tiger roars, wind arises. In the fundamental design of appearing in the world, gold and jade play together. In the strategic action of omnicompetence, arrow points meet each other. The whole world is not concealed, far and near are equally revealed, past and present are clearly described, but tell me, whose realm is it? To test, I cite this case to see, the main case. Emperor Su Tsung asked national teacher Chung, what is the ten-body controller? The national teacher said, Patron, walk on Birokana's head. The emperor said, I do not understand. The national teacher said, Do not acknowledge your own pure body of reality. The verse. The teacher of a nation is also a false name. None young alone may flaunt his good name. In great tongue he helped a real son of heaven. Once he had him trade upon Varukana's head. Then his iron hammer struck and shattered the golden bones. Between heaven and earth, what more is there? The lands and seas of 3,000 worlds by night are still and silent. I do not know who enters the blue dragon's cave. So before we get into this koan, I just want to say a few words about Ms. Shin, where we're at with it, how we proceed. And when we started, I quoted from Saint-San, the patriarch: the more you talk and speak, the more you stray from the way. We agreed to not talk. Well, we agreed to not think too, but so much for that. But you know, talking verbally, right, is one thing. What happens when we stop talking? Do we actually stop talking? Does it actually end or subside? We may not verbalize it vocally, But how often do we encounter no talking internally? It goes on and on and on and on. It's a lot louder than the voices that we can utter all together at once. It will be silent in comparison to the voice within. And the voice within judges, narrates and judges everything, right, and interprets everything. Interprets what we see, interprets what we expect to see and we don't see. Whether we speak or not doesn't change the fact that we trap ourselves. So we do it verbally and non-verbally. So when instructions are given, we have to know how to receive them. We're not here to chastise anybody, although we take things as if we are being chastised. Right? If, if we miss something and we are told, do that, pay attention, makes perfect sense to pay attention, to look. Oh, great, thank you. Now I know what to pay attention to. Now I know what I did not see a minute ago or yesterday. But that's not what we do. We feel bad. We feel defensive. We get very loud within. But that's not the point. This is not about acing anything. It's really about waking up, it's about being present, it's about appreciating, it's about being alive, it's about being, totally being. So there's no room for chastising. There's no room for self-flagellations that we're so good at. Well, there is room, but it's a waste of time, it's a waste of energy. And as I mentioned when we started Sishin, this will go by in the blink of an eye and tomorrow we end. We just started and we're ending tomorrow. It's very quick. And watch what happens now when we start to think about tomorrow, when we start to pack it up in our minds. Not just the Sishin, Anything that is about to end, and we want to pack it up, we're already not practicing what we came here to practice. And it begins now, in the way we're sitting here, listening to Ateisho. It begins by observing our breath right now, observing the mind, the judges, approves or disapproves, The mind that says I've had enough pain. This is too much. Or whatever else it's saying. And this is so important. It's such an important moment of a seshin. When we are just about to end. This is the time to give it all. To put everything on the line. To pay more attention to the way we move, to the way we see, to the way we eat, to the way we meditate. I mentioned before that I've read once that people who walk on tight ropes, those who practice walking on tight ropes, Most injuries, they say, happen the last couple of feet. When they see the other side, I'm about to finish. I'm almost there. And then the attention drops, along with the person. So it's a tendency we all have as human beings. But we're here to change things. We're here to do things differently. So don't leave before you leave. So tomorrow is the official date of a Buddhist celebration called Vesak or Wesak, which is a day of commemorating three crucial events in the life of Shakyamuni Buddha. The day of his birth, the day of his enlightenment, and the day of his death. And since this state happened to coincide with the last day of our sishin, I thought it would be a good opportunity to examine the significance of Shakyamuni Buddha as our original teacher and the way we understand our responsibility as practitioners who uphold the teachings. How do we embody the teachings? This is considered a living wisdom tradition, which actually simply means that If true wisdom doesn't manifest in our everyday existence we are playing with relics and the tradition is dead. So the responsibility that we have is great to understand what it is that we are practicing and to live it. To really live it. And one of the, the more common misconceptions people have about Buddhism is the notion that practitioners worship the Buddha as a god. It may be an understandable notion when, you know, from the outside, you look at a bunch of people bowing to great statues like this one here on elaborate altars, Right? And it's often the reason people stay away from practice, thinking this is conflicting with the religion I already follow. One guy the dojo actually told me, not all, all pra- dojo or Aikido practitioner uh, practice Zen, and one said, well, I already have a very jealous God. A very jealous God. And there is a competition there and I don't have room for two. Another occasion, actually happened recently again. A few years back, this woman came to sign up her son for Aikido classes and she saw that we have a statue of a Buddha. Nothing elaborate. Something very simple. And she immediately said, I can't sign up my son for classes here because... You guys are Buddhists." She walked away, very quickly. And recently another guy, retired actually, uh, said that he, came, he wanted to train with us to practice, but then he realized, and he was very uh, gung-ho about practicing and he really wanted to do it, but then he realized that, uh, he saw the schedule He realized that there is Zazan, and he said, no, I cannot do that. There is a conflict. There seems to be a conflict. is probably more accurate. Not that we say that. Right? But there seems to be a conflict. You know, actually, I've had conversations with Buddhist practitioners over the years who actually say, I believe in Buddha, or I worship the Buddha, using that language. It's so easy to have misconceptions about a practice, whether it's from within or from without. Sometimes the misconceptions, some of them dissolve, and sometimes some of them are very persistent. They don't dissolve. They stick around. It really doesn't matter whether a person is for or against Buddhism in terms of practice because in either way, the Buddha becomes an image or Buddhism becomes an image in our minds. And The Buddha is perceived as a separate entity from which we are separated. And that is obviously not in accord with the Dharma teachings. But it is in accord with what I spoke about yesterday, the path of convention. On that path our judgments, subsequent conclusions are defined by conventional way of thinking. So when we perceive something, we perceive a conflict, there is a conflict. It's real. We don't think, I'm imagining, that there is a conflict. We actually, truly believe that there is such a thing. That we know what we're looking at. So when these two people came into the dojo and, and so. A statue they were absolutely convinced that they knew what they were looking at, and they were absolutely convinced that what they were looking at is, or stands in opposition to what they hold on to, or to what they care about. And it's a threat to that. We don't, we don't see it as perceptions that are based on our personal conditioning, which is exactly what it is. Obviously, don't believe what I say, don't believe what you read. Look and see, examine, which is what we do. We're not here to swallow something whole. We don't practice that You show up to practice from day one. You're given instructions and are shown to a cushion. That's it. Sit down, take a look. We make it as comfortable as we can, as structured as possible, so you can do, so we can do the examination on our own. And what we need to examine is not what Buddhism is. We need to examine what we think about it. Or what we think about anything. Is it really true? What is it standing on? What validates what I think? We don't really see what's going on, we only see the images produced by our conditioned perception. And therefore we react to what we ourselves produce. That's why I give the example. When we are given instructions. To fix something. To do better. We don't see that. We don't see the opportunity. We don't say thank you. This is wonderful. We think, oh my God, I'm so stupid. I should have known better. But what are we reacting to? What are we seeing? Is that what's going on? Even if, even if the words are maybe uh, delivered in a way that yeah, maybe there is some chastising energy there, still our reactions are produced within. They don't come from that. That's why, from yesterday's koan, that's why we have to watch for the nose pain. We have to watch, what am I tethered to? What do I trust? And the teachings of the Buddha guide us to the practice of wisdom. And the practice of wisdom sheds light on how our conventional way of thinking empowers and validates what seems to be real. In a way, it's, just, it's showing us what not to do. It's showing us what we're not. And when we realize the fallacy of what we're not, what's left? When we realize we don't have to defend what we're not, then what's left? In the book, The Way of the Bodhisattva, Shantideva, there's a chapter on understanding and cultivating prajnaparamitan, the perfection of wisdom. Shantideva says, when ordinary folk perceive phenomena, they look on them as real and not illusory. Forms and so forth which we all perceive exist by general acclaim but not by valid reasoning. As long as the, as the conditions are assembled, illusions likewise will persist and manifest. As long as the conditioned the conditions are assembled. Assembled by who? We assemble, we put together things and create something from what we see. It says, even if we know that all is like illusion, how, you ask, will this dispel afflictive passion? Magicians may indeed themselves desire the mirage woman they themselves create. This is a very sobering statement, isn't it? Magicians may indeed themselves desire the mirage woman they themselves create. We become infatuated with our own creations. We love it even if we hate it. Meaning even if we suffer... And we know we suffer. We still somehow find ourselves in love with our own creations. That's your cue to move. And then he says, the reason is they have not rid themselves of, that's us, by the way, we are they. They have not rid themselves of habits of desiring objects of perception. And when they gaze upon such things, their aptitude for emptiness is weak indeed. Aptitude for emptiness is weak indeed. By training in this aptitude for emptiness, which is what we do, The habit to perceive real things will be relinquished. By training in the thought, there isn't anything, this view itself will also be abandoned. There is nothing. When this is asserted, no thing is there to be examined. And in short, what he's saying is that we are dreaming right now And in that dream our conventional minds create a perception of reality which in turn creates you as the one who is interacting with that reality or as the one who is listening to this Teisho. And because it's so habitual it perpetuates itself. And the Dalai Lama commented on this chapter said While dreaming, all kinds of things may come to mind. But these are nothing more than appearances that do not exist objectively. Likewise, oneself, others, and the cycle of existence and liberation, in short, all entities, exist merely by the power of mind and convention. They exist merely by the power of mind and convention. And that's everything that we can imagine and think. Everything. Everything we like, everything we dislike, everything we believe, everything we don't believe, what we complain about, all of it. But we don't want to hear that. Because there's always a reason to complain about something. To not like something. Or to like something. And this is what we need to do. We need to look at that. And ask. Not why it's happening. What validates it? That I believe it to be true. To raise that. To even bring up that possibility. That while I am convinced that this is what's going on, maybe it's not what's going on. That's going against the grain, right? We have to go against the grain. This is why when I officiate, when we officiate, the officiant will, during a chant, will take the, the stick, right? The cuts and we'll turn it counterclockwise first and then clockwise. We got to go against the grain before we can go back and function with everybody else. Function well, that is, with everybody else. So all of it exists merely by the power of mind and convention. In no way do they exist independently from the side of the basis of designation, as we do, we designate things. While actually existing by the power of mind and convention, their mode of appearance is otherwise. Due to our habituation to ignorance since time without beginning, whatever good or bad things that appear to our six types of consciousness, six senses do not at all seem to exist by the power of subjective convention. Everything appears to exist from the side of its basis of imputation. That mode of existence that accords with such a deceptive manner of appearance is the subtle object of refutation. Thus, it is to be totally repudiated by means of scripture and reasoning. In other words, by study. By studying well. By the willingness to doubt what we trust. And to trust what we doubt. And it takes courage. And it takes a sangha. It takes encouragement. Because there is something that doesn't want us to do that. So what he's saying is that we are dreaming and we are creating images and then interact with them or or find ways or look for ways to interact with them. And so from within that dream we talk about Buddhist practice. We discuss enlightenment and delusion. We divide grades and ranks. We see practitioners and non-practitioners. And we set apart what we call a monastery and what we call the city, which we're going back to tomorrow. In the introduction to a case from the Shōyōku, it says, playing with reflections, struggling For the form, you don't recognize that the form is the source of the reflection. Raising your voice to stop the echo, you don't know that the voice is the root of the echo. We don't know that we are creating the trap we are trying to free ourselves from. And so from within that dream, Emperor Sutsung asked National Teacher Chung, what is the Ten Body Controller? The Ten Body Controller is a, one of the epithets of the Buddha. and This one is referring to his all-encompassing abilities, the Ten Directions. And so Emperor Sutsung is basically asking, what is Buddha. The teacher in this case is Chung, who was a successor of Huineng, the Sixth Patriarch. And he served as the teacher of three successive emperors, hence the title, the National Teacher. One of the important roles of, of a Zen teacher is to take away anything a student is holding on to, to shatter any ideas about ourselves, our abilities, our reality, about Zen, and to completely flip the world, our world upside down, so there is nothing to stand on anymore. Of course, it can seem harsh, uncaring, but this taking away everything is actually an expression of the most loving and compassionate act of kindness. So chung saw that the emperor was holding on to an externalized cherished idea of a Buddha which he put on a high pedestal and he flipped it around by saying patron walk on Vairocana's head Vairocana Buddha represents the personification of the dharmakaya the reality body and the physical manifestation of true wisdom as it appears in the world. Vairukana is often depicted as the central figure of, in a mandala of five Buddhas. Each of the other four Buddhas occupy one of the four directions in relation to the central image and represents different qualities of wisdom. Vairukana Buddha embodies all the qualities of the other four Buddhas and is usually painted in pure white to represent all colors. So we can say that it is a manifestation of that which is beyond appearance and yet there is nowhere it is not found. And there is nothing it is is not inherent in. So Chung takes the most revered image of a Buddha and says, walk on his head. Why would he say that? Is he avoiding the question? Is he placing the Buddha below the emperor to appease the emperor? In the last of the ten great precepts we vow to not defile the Buddha. We vow to not defile the Buddha but it takes a very long time to understand the true meaning of this precept and how to embody it. To defile in this context is simply to create an image of it in our mind and to act as if we are separated from it. To defile means to harbor and trust a distorted sense of self which appears as not worthy, which can be chastised Which often feels inadequate or insufficient. The file the Buddha is to acknowledge and trust a perception of a self, a being, a life, and a soul. As in the words of the Buddha from the Diamond Sutra. Any perception. If this is what is meant by defiling the Buddha. How do we not defile? How do we express gratitude and appreciation for the Buddha's teachings? How do we embody the teaching? And how do we celebrate his birth, his enlightenment, and his death? How do we do it in such a way that is reflected in our everyday life? He said that right after the Buddha was born, he stood up, took seven steps, and with one finger pointing to the sky and, and the other one, another one to the earth, he said, I alone am the world honored one. This is that image. I put it on the altar for this day show. You barely see it, but it's there. To the right of the candle. Pointing up, it's right by the office too, there's another statue. They're pointing up and pointing down. I alone am the world honored one. So, putting aside the image of a walking and talking baby, for now. How do we understand this statement? I alone am the world honored one. While simultaneously pointing to the ground and pointing upward. You know, as practitioners, we have to study this thoroughly. But if we examine this expression in a conventional way, it will, it is, externalized. Not becoming. It is already externalized. And if we examine this, well, we miss the point. And then we become too concerned about a walking and talking baby. No, Yunman's commentary on this, he said, this is what we have to learn from, he said, if I were a witness of this scene, of the Buddha's birth, right? I would have knocked him to death at a single stroke and given his flesh to the dogs for food. This would have been some contribution to the peace and harmony of the world. That's Yunmen. The great Master Yunmen. Ummon. I would have knocked him down, killed him on the spot, and feed him to the dogs. How do we understand that? What is it that we have to knock down? After his enlightenment, the Buddha said, Wonder of wonders, I, all beings, the great earth, all the wisdom and virtue of the awakened one to thusness. And then, after, just after he died, his cousin Ananda heard the Buddha's voice saying, from beginningless time I have appeared as thus to save all beings. If we put all this, these three statements together it will roughly say this. In this wondrous beginningless reality I alone have appeared this way for the sole purpose of saving all beings. And I as in all one or is in A living embodiment of Indra's net, where everything is seen as it is, as affecting everything else, as interconnected with all things. I alone, because where's the other? And if there is no other, who's, who is walking on whose head? So the national teacher said, patron, walk on Vyrukandha's head. And the emperor said, I do not understand. And the footnote says, why don't you understand these words? What a pity. The details are not imparted. The emperor should have immediately shouted then, what further need did he have to understand? Right? It's right there. It's always right there. What further need is there? Yeah, but that's it. It falls apart. Well, We go right back to creating perception. And this is playing with reflection, struggling for the form. You don't recognize that the form is the source of the reflection. The emperor didn't realize that he himself was creating the confusion. And although his teacher went down to the weeds to, to meet him, he missed the point. So the national teacher said, do not acknowledge your own pure body of reality. Do not acknowledge. And it's all in that word, acknowledge. Changsha said, Students of the way do not know reality just because they acknowledge the conscious spirit as before. It's the root of countless eons of birth and death. Yet fools call this the original man. People right now just acknowledge this radiant awareness and immediately stare and glare, playing with their own spirits. But what relevance does this have? What connection does it have to the teachings? I do not understand. What are we trying to understand? It's the way we are trying to understand that creates the confusion. So we sit and look and examine the way we are trying to investigate or to investigate the investigation. If it needs to be acknowledged, how can it be the pure body of reality? An ancient said, if you do not give rise to any thought of practice or study within formless light, you'll always be free. Just discern that which is always silent and still. Do not acknowledge sound and form. Just discern spiritual knowledge. Do not acknowledge false discrimination and imagination. Do not acknowledge sound and form. Our whole life is based on that. Everything we like and dislike is based on sound and form. When he's saying, "You want to be free?" sure, it's right there. Just don't acknowledge that. What am I going to do? What about the story? What about what I'm convinced about? It has to be embodied. We can talk and talk and talk about it and read about it and have great discussions and think about it a lot. But it has, the gap has to be drawn for it to manifest in our lives. There's a related story in the commentary of this Khan, that expresses the stark difference between intellectual knowledge and spiritual knowledge. When Elder Fu of Taiwan was expounding the Nirvana scriptures in Xiao temple of Yangchuk, there was a wandering monk. Actually, it was the cook of Chia Shan, who was staying at the temple. So this cook showed up. He took the opportunity to go and listen to the lecture. When the lecturer touched on the three bases of the Buddha nature and the three qualities of the body of reality, and Fu spoke profusely about the subtle principle of the body of reality, the cook suddenly broke out laughing. Fu then looked at him. When the lecture was over, he had someone summon the cook and asked him, my simple knowledge is narrow and inferior. I interpret the meaning according to the words. You've got to wonder if he actually said it this way, but maybe he was humble. Just now, in the course of the lecture, I saw you broke out in love. I must have some shortcomings. Please explain it to me. The cook said, if you did not ask, I dare not speak. Since you have asked, I cannot but explain. I was actually laughing because you don't know the body of reality. And Fu said, What is wrong with my explanation, such as it was? And the cook said, Please explain it to me once more. And Fu said, The principle of the body of reality is like the great void. Vertically, it goes through past, present, and future. Horizontally, it extends through the ten directions of the universe. It fills the eight extremities and embraces both positive and negative modes. According to conditions, it tends toward effect. There is nothing it does not extend. The cook said, I did not say explanation is wrong, but you only know that which pertains to the extent of the body of reality. You do not actually know the body of reality. We may know the extent of what Buddhism is, but do we know what Buddhism is? And Fu said, granting that you're right, you should explain it to me. The cook said, if you agree, Then give up lecturing for 10 days and meditate correctly in a quiet room. Collect your mind, gather your thoughts, give up various clinging to good and bad all at once and investigate exhaustively on your own. Fu did just as he said, from the first of the fifth watch of the night, when he heard the sounding of the drum, he suddenly attained enlightenment. It looks very clean, very neat, right? He just went off for 10 days and got it, right? So, yeah, we have to put it in perspective. But it's really the point that this is bringing up that, that we have to look at, right? Just stop talking. Start listening. And stop talking really means stop believing, What you say. Stop believing what you think. Stop that. So to seize all talk and thought. Means that. It doesn't mean to just zip your mouth. Look down. Put your hands in shashu when you walk in the corridor. Fine. You do that. But do we actually stop? Do we actually take a chance and leap forward from the way we trust our thoughts and take a chance and dive into what we don't know and that's what he was telling him put aside what you know I'm not saying it's wrong but just put it aside he said and investigate on your own not through the reading or lecturing through actually experiencing the true body of reality. And to embody means to make it your own. But to truly make it your own does not mean making standards of your, on your own. Because this is where we come from. We come from having very defined standards. So, so Buddhism or Zen is not asking us to swap One set of standards with a new set of standards. It's asking us to drop all standards. Do not judge by any standards as we chant in the Sandokai. If you do not see the way, you do not see it even when you walk on it. And when you walk the way, you draw no nearer, progress no farther. Sekito Kisen. One of the names we chanted today. When you walk the way, you draw no nearer, progress no farther. You realize you never are a part of it. Verse, The teacher of a nation is also a false name. The national teacher is a false name as your name, my name, titles, positions, colors, labels, gender, places. All of it, all of it superimposed for the sake of functioning in this world. All of it is essentially meaningless and it lacks real substance substance and real meaning. It is empty of the name we give it. And the footnote says, What is the necessity? A flower in the sky, the moon in the water. When the wind passes over, the trees move. When you look at this magnificent mountain we're on, and you witness nature waking up, from Winter. Birds chirping, new buds on the flowers, kinds of crawling creatures. And all of it is manifesting wisdom without knowing it, without calculating, without naming. Now we, we walk around and say, oh, this is an oak, white oak. Is it? It's laughable. I mean, when you think about it, you know, it's like we are a joke. We really believe that we're looking at a a white oak. And there is no such thing. And all of it, when you look at it, you look at the tree, all of it, it knows, it only knows how to be. It doesn't know how to be otherwise. So if we want to see the teachings of the Buddha, There it is. That's all the teachings are about. Don't be what you're not. Just be. Don't be anything else than that. Nan young alone may flaunt his good name, his good fame, this national teacher. It's not a name for him. In great tongue he helped a real son of heaven. Once he had him tread upon Vyrokana's head. That's about the dialogue that they had and the way he tried to help the emperor. Once he had had him tread upon Vyrokana's head. And the footnote says why doesn't everybody go like that? They would find heaven and earth. How would you How do you tread? Do you tread on everything? Walk on everything you believe to be true? Why doesn't everybody do that? Right? That would be amazing if we all truly realize who we are. Stop acting like maniacs, destroying things, hurting each other, hurting ourselves. Then his iron hammer struck and shattered the golden bones. Shattered the golden bones. Then the footnote says, He's happy in everyday life. It's already thus before saying so. This is what Uman meant when he said, I will feed him to He said this in a different way. That's Uman's style. But that's really what he meant. Why doesn't everybody do that? Why do we need this? He's happy in everyday life. It's already thus before saying so. Another way to say that, the meal has long been cooked. What is it that we're trying to achieve? Where do, you, where do we want to go? What's wrong with this? I'll tell you what's wrong, right? I'll tell you what's wrong. Our whole life, actually, our whole story is about I will tell you what's wrong about, with this situation. I will tell you why I'm not happy. Why I can't be content. Why I can't be at ease. Between heaven and earth, what more is there? The lands and seas of 3,000 worlds by night are still and silent. And it says, the footnote says, set your eyes high... Hold fast to your territory. Are you waiting to enter the ghost cave? And then the last line says, I do not know who enters the blue dragon's cave. We have to enter the blue dragon's cave. We have to subdue the dragon. Realize we are the dragon. but it takes guts to enter the blue dragon's cave the commentary says even if you cleaned everything and made yourself cut off your tracks and swallow your voice still in the school of the patriarch monks this is still the view of novices and children You must still turn your heads around to the troubles of the world and fully arouse your great function. You must still turn your head around to the troubles of the world and fully arouse your great function. And that's what it comes down to. We want to celebrate the Buddha's life. We want to embody the teaching. That's what it means. Not to play with reflections, but to turn our head around and to go to where troubles are. Well, they come find us very quickly. You don't have to go anywhere. But this is what we practice. This is what we practice. And tomorrow we're going back to working with the daily challenges of our lives. Which of course appear in the form of other people and situations. And it's actually very common the first few days after Sashin to feel a sense of lightness and ease. We tend to be kinder, more patient, more spacious. And flow better, well with challenges. But then a few days later, as we know, we seem to be drowning in the mud of everyday life. The world starts to contract again. We become more restless, easily irritated. And then our harmful patterns of behavior begin to gain momentum again. Maybe they begin to to gain momentum here before we go back. But there is a choice. There is another way to be. And you know, going back to wherever we come from, right? This is where our understanding of the Buddha's teachings are put to the test, is put to the test. And this is where it matters most. You know, so we take the time to, to go to Sashin so we can dive deep into equanimity and cultivate wisdom and samadhi. And then, when we leave this monastery tomorrow, on the way down, as you drive down, we vow to actualize this for the benefit of all. Dragons and snakes intermingle. In our minds, they are separate but they intermingle and divisions is only in the head. No sensei, the founder of Aikido said, each day of human life contains joy and anger, pain and pleasure, darkness and light, growth and decay. Each moment is etched with nature's grand design. That is nature's grand design. All that He says, do not try to deny or oppose the cosmic order of all things. Be grateful even for the hardships, setbacks, and bad people. Dealing with such obstacles is an essential part of training in the art of peace, which is another way he called Aikido. But Aikido means the way of harmonizing with the flow, which is what we practice. So how we practice between now and the time we end the Sashin is crucial, absolutely crucial to the way we will embody it. Because if we can be wholehearted here, we can be wholehearted wherever we go. If we can fully be here, we can fully be there. But if we are here and partially somewhere else, we are never here, ever. A small part of us is here, and a big chunk is either in what was or what will be. How much good can we do with that? How much harm do we do when we act this way? This is real. It's incredibly beautiful and it's real. And I think most of us are deeply grateful to have encountered, to be a part of this tradition. Most people not only don't gravitate to that, they frown upon it. And those are the people we have to share it with. Not by talking about Zen. Only by embodying.